0: Hola, and welcome to Latino Book Chat. I am your host, Christian Menezes Jacobs. We invite you to participate in our conversations with Latino authors, illustrators, and others who share their insights into the book publishing industry. Yasmin Ramirez is a Marta's Institute of Creative Writing Author Fellow and a recipient of the Woody and Gail Hunt Aspen Institute Fellowship Award. Her fiction works have appeared in Cream City Review and Wisatch among others. She's an associate professor of English, creative writing, and chicken X literature at El Paso Community College. She stays active in the borderplex arts community and serves on the advisory board of the literary nonprofit Border Census. She's the author of her heartwarming memoir, Ándale Prieta. Latino Book Chat welcomes Jasmine Ramírez. Thank you for chatting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Tell us about Andale Prieta. You know, I really love the title. uh, But tell us, what is it about and what motivated you to write your memoir at such a young age? Sure, yeah. Um, You know, Andale Prieta is a memoir
1: about growing up in El Paso with my family, uh, particularly with my grandmother, Ita, that's her her nickname short for abuelita. Um, and it just highlights what it's like to live in a dual uh existence. Like when and what I mean by that, it's uh Mexican and American, it's Spanish and English. It's just this um, like just really amazing blend that happens here on the border with El Paso and Juarez. Um and it all started and this is not a spoiler, but it's uh, it all started with her death and it was me
0: writing it was a way to heal. Yeah, that I'm yeah, I can tell, you know, from reading your your story that it was very something very painful for you. Um how did you decide on the title? You know, I really love it. So tell tell our listeners how you decided on the title and what does it mean to you? Um, well,
1: you know, to be honest, it wasn't the first title for it. Um, no, <laughs> it was it? Was not. No, the first title because I love music so much and my my Ita was so musical. I had titled it Por un amor, and mm. then it just didn't seem to work as it, I as I was editing. And um, my very wonderful editor Lee Bird from Cinco Puntos Press noted noticed that in different parts of the book, it said Andale Prieta. And so she told me, what do you think about that? And then I kind of just fell in love with it instantly because it became my grandma and me in the cover and in the title. And so it's her telling me "Anda Andale Prieta, but then it's also me. I don't know. It just became very symbolic for me. And that's how we ended up with that title.
0: Oh, I, I actually love it. I think it's perfect. And it fits the book so well.
1: <laughs> it, You know, it does. It does. I think it was a wonderful choice. And I think um, I'm so glad that my editor caught it and saw just how powerful that phrase is in the book.
0: Yeah. And for those uh, who don't understand what Prieta mean, do you want to explain? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Prieta just means a darker complexion.
1: So I am very much a darker complexion um, and... In my family, I'm actually the most pretipa, so I have the darkest mm-hmm. complexion in my family. Mm-hmm. And um, and it became a, a nickname, and it's very common in Latine uh, families and communities to use it. It can also be used in a harmful way, but I'm so glad that with my ita, it was always a term of endearment, of cariño.
0: Yeah, exactly. That is a, a term of endearment, con un cariñito. Prietita, exactly. prietita. But yeah, I do know that some people do take it uh, differently
1: yeah, and I use
0: think... it to insult others.
1: Yes. And I've noticed, you know, because I've been a prietita my whole life, I've noticed that <laughs> when it's used to insult, typically like bien is in front of prieta. Like, it is bien prieta. And suddenly it's not a kind phrase at all.
0: hmm. Yeah, definitely. So if you could have a conversation with your grandma right now, with Tuita, what would you say to her? I'm wondering.
1: Um, You know, I'd want to ask her what she thought about all of this. Um, I'd like to imagine that she's been around, seeing how everything has unfolded and how people are reading about her life and about our life together. And I'd want to know how she felt about everything that I wrote.
0: Yeah, I wonder too. What would you think? <laughs> hey Prieta, me está sacando los calzones al sol. <laughs> right? Yes, yes, yes,
1: yes. But I mean, so much of our relationship. Of, of. I, I mean, I love my Ita. She was not a perfect person by any means, but there was so much cariño and so much, so much love in our relationship that I, I want to know if she feels what I was trying to do with the book.
0: Yeah, well, I can feel from the book that you had a wonderful relationship with her. Yeah, I'm so glad that came through. Mm -hmm, Yeah, most definitely. (laughs) Was it a challenge for you to uh, talk to your relatives, your sister, your mom about... um, these Issues that you face, was it difficult about the um, hardships that you all went through and that you had to put it on writing? You know, I'm very lucky that my 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 family was very
1: supportive and Like they knew what I was doing, but they didn't truly understand what I was doing. (laughs) So, so whenever I was asking them questions, they would just answer them and um, try to help me as much as they could. And then I was putting together the stories on the side. And so I'm, I'm glad that they were helpful. I don't easy. It wasn't easy, but there was parts of it that were definitely, they moved faster. I moved faster through certain sections. Um, obviously writing about my, my grandmother's death was not easy. Um, but there was other parts that I got to know her a little bit more, um, you know, through her relationships, through her losses, um, the different jobs she had growing up. And I found that really beautiful because I got to know her not only as my grandmother, but also as a woman and as a mother.
0: Yeah. And as a fighter too. Absolutely. That comes across, you know, really well. So. I I was thinking, you know, if you could travel back in time to to any moment in your memoir of the any part of it, which one would you choose and would, would you do differently or the same? Oh wow, that's a wonderful question. Um you know because a lot you of you have to revisit, right? Yeah, you have to remember, right? The past.
1: Yes, yeah. I think I I don't know if I can answer that in that part of me wants to visit times that I wasn't around mm-hmm. um, so I could see the events unfold. And then the, the granddaughter in me wants to go back and redo things as I was getting older and the distance I created between my family and myself. If I could go back, I would change that.
0: Yeah, because I, I think that was also very painful to you.
1: It was, you, it, know. It, you know, it brought a lot of guilt. It brought a lot of um, uncomfortable feelings just within myself outside of that of, you know, I wish I could have done this different differently, but um, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And I have mm-hmm. to believe that, that she knew what I, that I was, you know, just trying to grow up and find myself outside of who I was to her, to my mom and, you know, dealing with a lot of issues I had from my father. And I, in my mind, I'd like to believe that she doesn't have any, um, she doesn't, she's not holding any grudges or anything like that. I hope, <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. I even when I was older we did talk. I never got that sense. So I can't mm-hmm. imagine her being rincorosa now. <laughs> oh no,
0: no. I can't either. So I, I was thinking, what did your family say to you once they saw the story in writing? You know, in a book, a published book, and they read it. What was their reaction? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, it was funny because we had a conversation before the the they got the book because I gave it to them first, obviously, and I told them when you read it, just please make sure that you can't correct anything. And they said, "What do you mean?" And I told them, "Well, these are my memories, and these are the way I remember things, and so you can't correct how I remember things." And then they were kind of a little bit shocked. And then my sister realized, oh, yeah, I remember things differently because she's older than me, because there was some times that she wasn't there and she heard stories secondhand. And so they both read. um, And I'm just mentioning my mom and my sister, because I think while I love my uncle and my brother-in-law and my husband, you know, the story has a lot of them in it and their opinions were very important to me. And my sister really enjoyed the first part, and she struggled with the second part because there's a heaviness in the second part. Obviously, the loss of my grandma is there. Um, and then my mom didn't know what to say, and so her default is awesome. <laughs> when she doesn't know what
0: to say. She tells me, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. Have you stayed in touch with your dad, or that's just not happening? No, actually, I haven't
1: seen him since that last scene in the book. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: So I wonder if he has even read the book.
1: I don't know. Um, A couple of people have asked me that, and I wouldn't be able to tell them. I haven't heard from him or um, that side of the family um, Mm -hmm. in in a very long time.
0: Yeah, that's very difficult. Yeah. You know, you grew up in El Paso. Mm -hmm. And... I wanted to know how growing up in that specific area of Texas shaped your identity as a Mexican-American woman and then as a future writer.
1: That's a that's a great question. Um, you know what's interesting is I never knew that I was different until I left El Paso. Um, mm. El Paso is this really beautiful place where there's ranges of how much people speak english there's ranges of how much people speak spanish it's so common to hear people speak english like one person will speak english and the other person will speak spanish and they communicate perfectly fine um and i obviously i knew there was differences in language and slight differences in culture um in the level of how much people embrace their their mexicanness but to me, it was just normal to have that around me at all times. And when I when I left and I went to Dallas, that's the first time that I felt the brownness of my skin and judgment and assumptions. And so it's odd that in El Paso, it was, you know, it's like eighty five percent Latino. Um, mm-hmm. Like if you look at the demographics, so in this city, we're not a marginalized group. We're the we're the majority. And it's weird to go from being the majority to being a, mar- a marginalized individual outside of the city. Um, so when I moved away, though, I think I learned to appreciate just how beautiful all those things were. And I remember I would, if I heard people speak Spanish, my ears would perk up because, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, my God, where is that? Where is that coming from? Um, I know and- we do
0: that all the time, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but you want to just follow it. Where is it? Um And I think the level of cariño in the community here really shaped who I was um, and who I am today. And I think that when I was writing the book, I really wanted to highlight how beautiful El Paso is. People always think the desert is, you know, dry and brown and there's no beauty in it. But El Paso is extremely beautiful and the cultura is beautiful. And I feel like it represents who we are as a people, that we're resilient and that we can bloom in the toughest of conditions.
0: Yeah, I, I've gone through El Paso once, but it was at night, so I didn't get to see it very much. Oh, no. <laughs> you just saw a bunch of lights. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. It was like, where are all those lights? Oh, my God. You know, so unfortunately, we didn't stop, but I hope to get there one time you know one day that would be hopefully fun. yes that would be great yeah um uh, this is your first book jasmine mm-hmm. and i was wondering how difficult is it to find a publisher for a first time writer and especially a memoir
1: um you know it was, it was difficult in that i didn't know what the what i was doing
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I um I was writing the book and I wrote it and then I thought it was finished and I sent it to a couple um, publishers. And at that time I didn't know this, but I got very kind notes from editors with an email of there seemed to be something missing in the book.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: um, because I was writing about my life, I was able to fill in the gaps. And so I ended up working with a freelance editor. Um, her name is Becky Powers and her daughter, Jessica Powers, and they were really helpful for me and they pushed me, especially the second part of the book that was almost non-existent and they pushed and pushed me. And then luckily Cinco Puntos Press at the time was a local press here in El Paso that was publishing um, Latine authors and trying to highlight, like they fell in love with the borderland as well. And so um, She, the editor I was working with, I didn't know was friends with the people at Cinco Puntos Press. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they connected me and they read the book and they were like, yes, we want to publish it. And then in the middle of the pandemic, they decided they were going to sell Cinco Puntos. (laughs)
0: oh yes i remember that <laughs> yes
1: and so i uh, you know i freaked out and i'm like oh my god what happened i thought i had a publisher and and luckily in the purchase lee and Lowe books from in new york uh also fell in love with Ana Prieta and they, i was part of the purchase
0: oh that is wonderful yeah. So it was a lot of, I
1: wanted to say like lucky breaks of just, and also stubbornness that I kept trying and, and trying to figure out a place for this book.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I remember when I met you at the Tucson Festival of Books, it was just coming out in March, I think. Uh, and it had just yes. sold out. I remember you saying something about the book has sold out.
1: Yes, Yes. yeah, that was so exciting for me. (laughs) I
0: know. I think we were all clapping and yeah, we're so excited. That's so cool. (laughs) Yes, it was
1: surreal to be able to say that. Like, I'm sorry, but the book sold out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know Mm -hmm. you're very sorry for all of us who wanted to to get the book, but not really. (laughs) You're like, yes. yes, it was like (laughs) 50-50. That's awesome. How long did it take the editing and the publishing process?
1: Um, You know, the first, I went through several edits and the first edit, I want to say, took about six months from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And then I don't have a, a normal timeline because in the middle of that, that's when the pandemic hit and oh, so, yeah. so it kind of put a lot of things on pause for everyone because we didn't know what was going to happen. And so then it was kind of like, we're waiting to see what's happening with this virus. And then when I did, when I went to Lee and Lo, I had a one more edit and that was all, that was much shorter. It was like a two month turnaround. Um, and that was really fast going through and and fixing little things and giving a little bit more context um, for some of the Spanish for people who don't speak Spanish and little little detallitos, you know, going through and cleaning it up. Um. So I guess you could say a year. I think it's mm-hmm. a good a good amount to say it's a year from the moment that your book arrives through with the editorial process.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like it went a little fast, you know, after the pandemic and then Leon Lowe acquired it. Because two months sounds fast.
1: Yes, it was very, it was very fast. I was like panic editing. And then it was, um, you know, they were talking to me about the cover and um, talking to me about advanced reader copies. And it was after that. Yes, it went super, super fast.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Well, we want to hear your favorite passage from Andale Prieta.
1: Perfect. Um, I like to read this one. This one little section, not only because it explains a little bit more about Prieta, but it gives, I think it highlights a lot of what my relationship with my Ita is like, or was like, I'm sorry. In the sun, I turn darker brown. I get even more Prieta. Prieta is a term of endearment. When I tell people who don't speak Spanish what Prieta means, dark or the dark one. Their eyes pop open and a small gasp escapes. I see the offense they feel for me sprinkled on their faces like the freckles I will never have. How do I tell them that when I heard Ita say Prieta, I felt the caress of her strong hands on the top of my head as she braided my hair? How do I tell them that I never knew what Prieta really meant until some light-skinned Mexican kids laughed at me and said that I had to be more Mexican than them because I was bien Prieta. How do I tell them that when they said the word, it turned ugly? And I called them wetbacks in response. How do I tell them that now, even after the cruelty of children, Prieta means love. That each time Prieta fell from her lips, I learned to love my dark skin. No one calls me that anymore. I miss how her words sounded out loud. My Ita called me Prieta. When she died, she took the name with her.
0: Oh, 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 I remember reading that. And I just started crying, Jasmine. I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, no. You know, it, it, it was very emotional for me to read that. I'm sure it was very emotional for you, too. Yes. But that's just beautiful. It's I'm I thank you. Thank you so much. Um
1: it it's one of those things where I can like today I read it just fine and some days when I'm missing her a little bit more like me duele com, but like me duele bueno. Mhm.
0: Yeah. I I can see that. What do you hope readers will take away from reading Ándale Prieta?
1: Um you know, a good friend of mine, an author a friend, Richard Young, has told me, now that the book is out, it's not mine anymore. It's theirs. And I didn't understand what he meant in those first couple weeks of the book coming out. But now that it's been out a little while, I've seen what he means and that people are pulling the threads that they are choosing to connect with. Like I'm hitting chords with different people from... You know, um, people who have had beautiful relationships with their abuelas and abuelos, to people like me that are darker complected, so the pretitas, the negritas have been sending me messages telling me they feel very seen with the title, Um, to even just like people growing up with single mothers. Um, So it's interesting what people are taking out. And I think, I can hope all the things in the world, like I hope they take this, but I know that. They're going to connect with what they need to connect with at that moment.
0: Yeah, and I like the idea that people feel seen, you know, in your, in your book, that they feel that they can identify with it. Yes, absolutely. I
1: think that's the most beautiful part of it, that they feel a little bit less alone, which I think is so interesting because in so much of the book, I felt very alone. And knowing that we're together in this aloneness is really beautiful and healing, I think, as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. How do you think your book contributes to the representation of Latina voices in literature, especially contemporary literature? Um, You know, I hope that it,
1: what it's doing is showing how diverse we all are. And, you know, one of the things I was really self-conscious about is I'm not completely fluent in Spanish. Um, It wasn't my first language. I never formally learned it or was taught it formally it was just all from listening to people growing up here in El Paso and with living Really? Huh. Yes, yeah. I would have never guessed. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I I I I was not never formally educated in Spanish. And so I was very self-conscious of those sections and I checked them and checked them and my husband is is from Colombia and so he was reading and he would make sure that the accents were right and um so I, I really hope that it it reads for people like me who felt self-conscious and not so sure about their Latinidad and that we come in this beautiful spectrum of being able to speak, you know, 100 percent Spanish to being into the opposite side of being pochas or not being able to see Spanish at all. Um because I feel a lot of times that's very isolating within the community of like, oh, you don't speak Spanish? No, you're not. You're not a real Mexican or you're not a real Chicana. Or, you're not a real Latina. And I think that's so harmful because culture is fluid and it comes and ebbs and flows. And I think sometimes when we don't allow people to come to it naturally or when they're trying to come to it and we make them feel shame, then that's when they start to shun it. And so I hope they'll see that in the book, that um, my, you know, my family's been in the El Paso area for a very long time. I don't have any family in Mexico. Um, I can't even track exactly like where my family migrated from. But I'm still very much uh, proud of who I am, who my family is, and I'm very proud of my culture. And I hope that is sort of broadening the landscape.
0: Yeah, I think it is very clear, you know, that you're definitely very proud of your heritage. I think that comes across really well in the book. And also when you speak about your book, like when I heard you at the festival, mm-hmm. you know, it comes across really well. But yeah, you're right. You know, some people do say that, that if you're born here and you don't speak Spanish, you are not Mexican enough. Sí. Uh Yeah, let's say it. I, which I think you know you're right, it's very harmful. We need to be more united and support each other instead of alienating.
1: I think the... also, I think it's this idea that there's no one way to be Mexican. There's no one way to be Latina or Chicana or you know Latina. There's so many ways to express culture. And I think we're damaging ourselves for sure by thinking of this this one single lens.
0: Yeah. Well, I, what I encounter is like people assume I'm Mexican because I speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. It's my native language. I speak with an accent. So I, I'm not, I'm from Nicaragua. So that's where I was born. So Nicaraguans don't like their food spicy. Our food is very different from Mexican food. It's more like Caribbean food, Uh you know? So when I'm like, when I like, When I used to live in L.A., I would say, like, oh, please don't make it too spicy, you know? Does it have chiles? Oh, yeah, you know, can you take them out, please? And then people would look at me, like, what kind of Mexican are you? And you're like, I'm not one. (laughs) You know, it's like the assumption, right? Yes, yeah. Because you speak Spanish, and I'm like, I am not. I'm from Nicaragua. We eat completely different food.
1: (laughs) Yes, yeah. I can can understand, because as I mentioned, my husband's Colombian. He's from Mm Medellin.
0: And they don't, Mm -hmm. they
1: don't eat spicy food either. And so people here are always, they, they, well, they hear his accent here because they recognize that he doesn't sound Mexican, but outside of El Paso, they just think, they see two brown people together and they assume que somos (laughs) mexicanos. And yeah.
0: (laughs) Yep. That's right. That's funny. You know, I have to ask you something Mm -hmm. because all of us Latinos have this crazy idea that we see ghosts. (laughs) Do you ever (laughs) feel like you saw Ita's ghost? Or at least did she come to you in a dream or something? Absolutely, <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely. I'm very superstitious. Tell um, us about it. Tell us how come. On. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's just moments where I feel like she has visited me. Um, I've smelled her perfume, and like I don't wear perfume, and you know, her perfume was very floral and pungent, and um, I know on. The I think it was the anniversary of her death, like ten, the 10 year anniversary. And my husband and I were sitting there and we were talking and then he was like, do you smell that? And I was like, what? What smell what? And then I caught the whiff of it. But it was interesting they, that he smelled it first. That is fascinating. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so and then I think also just like she's kind of guided me on where things are going to go. I learned with the book, like it was going to happen when it was supposed to happen and I couldn't force it. Even the simple thing of Cinco Puntas Press to Lee and Lowe to the cover, because this is not the original cover of the book. It was a different cover as well. And so I feel like she just guided us there and now she's on the cover of the book. There's little Easter eggs in the in the images and the house is the house I grew up in. Ah. I have to look at it more carefully, <laughs> mhm, yes, yeah, there's little pictures of my of my epa in the stair steps in the in the steps, I'm sorry,
0: oh okay, yeah, you know because we I don't know why we tend to be so superstitious, but we are <laughs> as I said, I have to ask, you know, yes, yeah, you know. I
1: think it's just the belief in like energy mm-hmm. that we believe that you know we're all energy and and we we don't just disappear when we when we leave this this realm. And so yes, I think that I think that's why, but I I think there's a beauty in it too. It's kind of like I don't know, the story's not over.
0: Mhm. Yep, definitely continues, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you I know you're a very busy woman. So are you working on any projects right now? Anything I... else that you are working on? Yes,
1: yes. I've been working all summer actually. I have one chapter left to write of a new manuscript. Um, but it's fiction completely different than Andale Prieta in that I made everything up. <laughs> and um but it and it's also it's gonna be a YA manuscript about a girl named Lola. But she's growing up in El Paso as well. So I still wanted to keep writing about El Paso in this, in this one. And she wants to be a rock star. And so Ooh. we see her growing up and trying to figure out how she's going to be the lead singer of a band, of a famous band. Oh,
0: wow. That sounds interesting. Wow.
1: Can't wait to see it. Yay. <laughs> yes, I'm having a lot of fun. And so I can't wait for, for readers to see it either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, good luck with that. Thank you. The book is Andale Prieta by Jasmine Ramirez. As a follower of Latino Book Chat Podcast, please consider supporting Latino literature with a small financial contribution to help sustain future episodes of Latino Book Chat Podcast. There is a link at the end of the show notes to make a contribution. We appreciate your help. And check out the books featured on the podcast at Nuestra Tienda at our online store at nikagal.com. Egal from Nicaragua, of course, nicagal.com, N-I-C-A-G-A-L.com. And you'll find Andale Prieta in our store as well. Jasmine Ramirez, thank you so much for chatting with us today on Latino Book Chat. It has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I had so much fun talking with you. Thank you for joining us today. Visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at latinobookchat.com. Please subscribe on your favorite platform. Whatever you're listening to us today, please give us a positive review and as many stars as possible. Sharing the show will help it grow and continue to come to you. Thank you for your support. Hasta pronto. Latino BookChat is a production of Nicaragua Media. Today's episode was hosted, produced, and edited by Christian Meneses Jacobs.